You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another special reports here on Legal Talk Network. My name is Alan Pierce. I'm an attorney in Salem, Massachusetts. And today's show is being recorded on location at the Workers' Injury and Advocacy Group Conference at the Baccara Resort in Santa Barbara, California. Joining me today is Anne-Marie Pantasis. Welcome to the show, Anne-Marie. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Alan. I am a workers' comp attorney based in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been practicing for 15 years. I'm a board-certified specialist, and um, I have two associates, and workers' comp is about 80% of my practice right now. And you are on one of the panels uh, at this conference speaking uh, about the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. I am. It's a topic that has been uh, interesting to me since the ACA was proposed uh, several years ago, and we've done some research to to figure out really how this new law interacts with workers' comp benefits in particular and some of the um, some of the ways we can use the ACA to help our clients maximize their, their settlements. Okay, so we can use ACA and Obamacare pretty much interchangeably. I know Obamacare is kind of the media uh, shorthand for the Affordable Care Act. Correct, correct. When I'm explaining everything to my clients, I tend to use the word Obamacare, and it elicits definite... Um, definite reaction from my clients, most of whom, it's funny, they can benefit the most from this this law, but a lot of them living in North Carolina are conservative folks in general, and so we have to explain that this liberal law is actually here to benefit them. Um, but yes, it is used interchangeably. I, in the paper that uh, I wrote in conjunction with the conference, of course, we refer to it as the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. Okay. Now, for me, as a workers' comp practitioner, My question or concern is, why do we need to be concerned about the ACA? Because in a typical workers' comp case, the private carrier or the state fund, but usually the private insurer, pays the medical costs. So tell us, how does the ACA, insofar as our history with it thus far, how does that intersect and affect workers' comp? What do we need to know? A very good question. Well, there are two ways it can affect workers' comp, and of course it depends on what type of case we're dealing with. If you have an accepted case, we can use the ACA in terms of um, creating settlements uh, to have our clients be able to access the health care after, after the settlements and accepted cases. But more importantly, in a denied case, uh, we can use the ACA to get the treatment that somebody needs during the pendency of the litigation. So we can talk about uh, first how we use the ACA in an accepted case, how we can advise our clients, uh, and then we can move on to the denied cases. Now, when the ACA pays medical bills during the pendency of a denied workers' comp case, is there a distinction between the private health insurer that pays the claim and then asserts a recovery or a lien, a subrogation or payback or whatever? That's a very good question. And going back to your original point, when the ACA pays, just as a point of clarification, obviously the ACA is a law. These are private policies issued by private insurers. So it's different than um, Medicare or Medicaid, which are government-sponsored programs, which would have an automatic right to subrogate uh, or to receive their conditional payments. However, in denied claims, you know, there are some arguments that Medicare and Medicaid uh, don't have to be paid back in fully denied claims. But in a workers' comp setting, we use the ACA um, in a denied claim to get the clients access to health care. And the subrogation right would be dependent upon state law. In North Carolina, we have an anti-subrogation regulation. So these private policies are governed by our state-specific laws regarding subrogation. The ACA does not specifically mention subrogation in the 
1,400 plus pages um, of the of the law. There is no mention of subrogation. There is a slight mention of Medicare. Um, but it was not in the context of conditional payments. So we feel it's safe to say in analyzing the ACA and what it didn't say and comparing it to the Medicare Secondary Payor Act and what that did say about subrogation rights that we feel pretty confident that there is no subrogation requirement that the ACA imposes. Of course, you would then look to the individual plan, the individual insurance plan that the insurer issues pursuant to the ACA mandates, and then apply your state-specific law in determining whether any subrogation interest would be valid. Now, is there any way to an, an outside observer, be it the workers' comp carrier or the attorney, to know that his client is covered under a plan and the plan is with a private insurer, whether that's an ACA plan that may have its own regulations about subrogation or lack thereof as opposed to the strict contractual? Well, to answer your question, the client would typically know if they bought the plan under the ACA because those plans are purchased through the marketplace. At www.healthcare.gov is where individuals can go to um, purchase plans on the federal marketplace. There are also state-specific marketplaces. Half the states in the country have established their own marketplaces, and in the states that failed to do so, the federal government stepped in and created the healthcare.gov website for purchasing um, ACA policies. So the first step to, to figuring that out is asking your clients, where did you get your, where did you get your policy? Now, for me as a practitioner who basically has a practice dependent primarily on workers' compensation claims, a lot of us with the proposal of Affordable Care Act and now the implementation of it are concerned that this might be the first step in camel's nose under the tent of a single-payer system that might somehow supplant traditional workers' comp systems, even on the disability end. And uh, I'm sure that's something that is an evolving discussion. And I would agree with you 100% that that is an evolving discussion. And I think just um, globally speaking, the ACA is is a closer step to a single-payer system as we have in uh, Medicare. But... What we have been seeing, uh, and it's it's starting to happen more often, is that defense counsel are starting to make arguments that we are not going to take into account consideration for future medical payments in these settlements because your client will be covered under the ACA. And so that's one of the issues that we have to um, deal with is how to combat those specific arguments. And I, uh, another particular problem in my practice, and I'm sure in yours in North Carolina, is this, that when there's an injury at work and an absence of work that may go beyond the initial couple of weeks, three months, or whatever, and FMLA comes into play and the job is gone and the fringe benefits are gone, including right. the health insurance, right. the, our clients have been left either returning to work way too early to keep the insurance or being placed into a position of financial destitution. And to me, the ACA is now a safety net. And I would I would agree with that. The one quirk of the ACA that's specific to workers' comp claimants in particular is that their workers' comp TTD or weekly checks do not count as income for purposes of qualifying for the ACA subsidies, which is uh, very interesting because we can have a situation where someone cannot return to work and they are let go from their position because there's no work available for them. Um, They have to go out into the private marketplace to obtain insurance because the employer is no longer offering that to them once their employment ends. 
And then they find themselves in a situation where their workers' comp income does not count. Now, in states that have rejected federal expansion of Medicaid, that's significant because you have to make a minimum income in order to qualify for ACA subsidies. The way the ACA um, was structured originally, the state's... um, well, the states were, there was an assumption that the states would accept federal Medicaid expansion and that the federal Medicaid uh, expansion would, in, would cover folks between zero and $11,500, roughly. It's um, the federal poverty line is adjusts every year, but you have to make at least the federal poverty line in order to qualify for these subsidies. Well, in states that rejected federal expansion of Medicaid, you can actually be too poor to qualify for subsidies. And our workers' comp clients who only whose only income is workers' comp temporary total disability income, which is a non-taxable benefit, do not um, qualify for subsidies unless somebody else in their household has an income that raises their household. So is there still Medicaid available for those folks who don't meet the income guidelines for uh, ACA? It, it's state-specific. Okay. In North Carolina, for example, there is an asset test to be uh, qualified for Medicaid. So the TTD that did not qualify as income under the ACA subsidies does qualify as income for purposes of Medicaid. So those same folks whose income does not qualify them for the uh, federal subsidies under the ACA plan actually earn too much money in North Carolina to qualify for Medicaid. So for federal purposes, they earn too little. For work, for uh, state purposes, they earn too much. So they're caught in this donut hole, so to speak, of um, not being able to qualify for Medicaid, not being able to qualify for subsidies. So their only recourse is either to remain uninsured, go on COBRA, which could be very expensive, or find other um, private insurance through the, through the regular um, market, which, again, could be very expensive and prohibitive. And I know one of the hallmarks of of the ACA is that an insurer cannot deny for pre-existing conditions. Is there anything in the act that would carve out, for example, if it's a workers' comp claim where there is already established liability for medical payments through the comp carrier? Is there anything in ACA that would exempt the carrier on on the, the purchase plan from being required? That's a very good question. The ACA itself, the law itself, does not discuss workers' compensation at all in all of the pages uh, of the law. There's there's no mention of workers' comp. So there is no exclusion, per se, under the ACA for workers' comp-related injuries. Again, you would look at the plan in and of itself to determine whether once you are outside of the workers' compensation system, if you could then qualify for ongoing health care benefits under the plan. And from what we've seen, the answer is yes. Because there is no pre-existing condition waiting period, uh, you can have immediate access to the medical treatment that you may need to cover your work-related injury. I have not seen, and again, the law has only been in effect for one year, I have not seen any insurance company fail to cover claims or treatment on claims that have been settled or the comp care is no longer paying, refuse to cover treatment for those for those folks. So there's no need for Medicare or a set-aside such as a Medicare set-aside. Correct. There's no uh, conditional payment requirement like there is with Medicare. In other words, if you have a denied claim that the carrier then pays on down the road, there's no conditional payment requirement under an ACA plan. Also, there is no 
Medicare set-aside type of arrangement that's required. Either you don't have to set aside money for future medicals to take into account the plan's interest like you were for Medicare. Again, what's important to know is even though this is a uh, federally um, created system, it is private insurance that is basically administered by state law. And is there a difference between the different insurers and the private sector as to what the benefit levels would be, or they have to be universal? There is a minimum requirement. Um, the ACA mandates certain um, minimum levels of care, and um, there are certain things such as uh, preventative OBGYN, uh, mammograms, um, certain things that the ACA mandates uh every insurance company to cover. But other than that, the plans can be tailored as far as um, deductibles and premiums to the specific, um, well, there are different types of plans. There are bronze, silver, gold plans, uh, platinum plans. So the higher the premium, the lower the deductible and vice versa. So just like any other marketplace, you can have different levels of coverage. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our time. I want to thank Anne-Marie Pantazes for joining us today. Anne-Marie, if our listeners have questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Uh, the best way is either email at amp at pantazislaw.com, and that's P-A-N-T-A-Z-I-S-L-A-W.com, or I could be reached at 704-342-2243. Well, thank you very much for joining us. This has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Alan Pierce. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.